today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. Thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to, to have a chat with me over Skype uh, in completely different time zones and, and worlds. Oh, well, are our time zones different? Where are you? I'm in uh, London, actually. Ah, right. Okay. Well, yes, very different. Um, yes, I'm, I'm in Ocean Grove in uh, Regent, well, in, in the city of Greater Geelong. Yeah, wow. Um, so I'm on the, uh, the Victorian, uh, it's like the surf coast. It's kind of like the last town you hit before the Great Ocean Road starts. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I've, I, I'm a um, uh, Melbourne boy myself okay cool oh well then you're all over where you you probably came here for like holidays when you were a kid or something (laughs) yeah yeah i did uh it's funny because since since i moved here um i've spoken to because i grew up in perth but um so i don't i i didn't have an affinity with the place um because in perth it was kind of like you used to go down south to you know margaret river and stuff like that since i've been in in victoria i've and moved to Ocean Grove. So many people that have lived in Victoria all their lives have said, "Oh yeah, Ocean Grove. Yeah, I know, I know that place. Yeah, we go camping there, holidays there, all that kind of stuff." So yeah, we used to yeah, go to this... go to Lawn for a holiday. Yeah, yeah, but Lawn's you know only about an hour up the road, which is a fucking lovely, lovely spot. Mm, I mean that whole that whole pocket of the world is a is a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, it's it is really nice, especially. Um, I mean, the winters can be a little bit rugged, but. Um, I'm feeling really good today because today we had this beautiful sunny day, kind of just came out of nowhere after having a bit of bit of bit of a shitty week, and the sun just came out and I've spent all afternoon just with the kids out in the garden mowing the lawns, planting trees, just like drinking gin and tonics, having a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a slice of heaven. Well, you know, I I don't want to paint too, uh, you know glamorous a picture an unrealistic picture of it but yeah i mean it's um that just sounds simple it yeah it's definitely um there's definitely something about like living outside of the city um in a quiet coastal town that just has and this effect it just kind of the the pace of life is so much slower and it just has a kind of calming effect and um you know and we've got you know two young young girls and you know as a in a in that sort of family environment you know it's i guess it's a bit of a cliche the whole sea change thing but you know there's there's there is definitely something to it it really does kind of just um you know slow everything down and there's a peacefulness about it i guess Ah, live, live to iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or however you consume podcasts, and not actually live, as in live to air, but rather live in a more um, philosophical sense, like the show is alive and well. Welcome to another podcast ramble. Welcome to another episode of Coming Up Next with Alistair Marks, and this week would have to be one of my favorite episodes. We get straight into it. You may know this man from the band Jebediah. You may know him as his alter ego, Bob Evans. Joining me this week for some philosophical silliness, Kevin Mitchell. And 
if you're a big fan of Kevin Mitchell, Jebediah, Bob Evans, or Josh Pike, you can see Kevin around Australia with Josh Pike as they tour another evening with Josh Pike and Bob Evans from November 24th. They'll be kicking off their show in Adelaide and touring through South Australia, WA, Queensland, New South Wales and the ACT before finishing up on December 16th at the iconic Corner Hotel in Melbourne. Check out bobevans.com.au for more information and to purchase your ticket arini dinis, your tickets. And, you know, while you've got bobevans.com.au open, hit Command T on your keyboard to open up a new tab, as it were, and go to comingupnext.com.au. From there, you can check out all 64 previous installments of Coming Up Next. The last few episodes have been among some of my absolute favorites. And you can find little buttons to subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, where you can also rate and review the show. So now that you've got yourself a little playlist of Coming Up Next podcast episodes, I will hand you back over to a past version of me, for my interview with Bob Evans and Jebediah musician, Kevin Mitchell. I was reading somewhere, speaking of sea change, that you uh, that you decided you wanted to move there so you could act out all your favourite scenes from the show Sea Change. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I say a lot of stupid shit. I never <laughs> even watched... I didn't even watch the show, but it, but it just... I, I found it funny that... Um, People look when I, after I moved here again. Another story is that yeah, people are saying yeah that show Sea Change. They filmed it well, part of it there. There's apparently in the opening sequences of the show, um, the bridge that connects Ocean Grove and Barwon Heads is like a feature in the opening sequence and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I mean I've it's you know unwittingly I have moved to the I have Sea Change to the place. <laughs> Where the show Sea Change was was somewhat uh, based on, so yeah, you made yeah. you made the Sea Change uh, in a meta way. Yeah. Yep. And so what? Uh, I certainly did. What inspired the move from Perth to uh, to that area? Um, well, I I first lived in Melbourne for quite a few years. I moved my my partner and my my wife and I moved to Melbourne in 2008 um, and she's from Victoria originally so she came to Perth we did a long distance relationship thing for ages we've been together since like you know the late 90s and um, she came over to Perth we did long distance thing for about three years and then she moved over to Perth just because it got to that point where I was like well you know there's something something's got to give yeah Um, so then we lived in Perth for like about seven years, or she lived with me in Perth for seven years, and then, yeah, in two thousand and eight, it just there was a like the Jebediah thing had kind of stopped. Bob Evans was my had become my new kind of priority or career, so to speak, in inverted commas. Um, and we'd just Jebediah and myself had just broken up with our manager a long-term manager at the time and um and it just and my wife had just my wife Kristen had just finished her degree and it just kind of felt it you know like sometimes those things happen in life where there's a lot of chap there's a lot of chapters being kind of finished you know mm. and everything 
you know, there's in, in more than one direction, these things are kind of coming at you where it feels like there's kind of things are changing and it's time for a, for a new start. And we always talked about moving to Melbourne one day. And of course, it's we just kept putting it off and putting it off because it's a very easy thing to put off because it's such a big move. Um, but um, but yeah, circumstances just seem to all kind of come together. And at that point, it was just like, okay, I think this is it. This is the time. That's why why we're still here. We need a fresh start. So we decided to um, to move to Melbourne. So we lived in Melbourne for about uh, six years before we moved to where we are now in Ocean Grove. Yeah. Wow. What was it like when you when you finally um, severed the long term? Uh, sorry, what was it like when you finally severed the long distance thing? That that first moment must have been amazing when you were together and you knew that it wasn't going to be a long distance relationship anymore. Yeah, well, look, it was great, but it was also a lot of pressure, you know, because my wife, well, she was my girlfriend at the time um, when she moved over and there was a lot of pressure as well because she was giving up everything. She was leaving all her friends and her family and, and everything to come and and live with me, and and so the and and that decision just came down to the fact that you know I was in Jebediah and the other guys in Jebediah were in Perth, and I just felt like I couldn't leave Perth without the band, you know, sort of imploding. Mm. Um, and so she was the one that kind of took that leap of faith, and um, so yeah, it was great, and it all worked out wonderfully well in the end. But at the time. Yeah, there was pressure, you know, there's that because, it, you know, she had made, she was the one making all the sacrifices, not me. So, sure. Um, so, yeah, we just, but we always kind of, you know, we always sort of felt like we were soulmates, you know, that we were, um, that this, that, you know, the, the relationship that we had was, was really special and, I think there we always kind of felt like we were, there it was it was meant it was kind of meant to be you know and, mm. and um and so far that has kind of proven to be the case. <laughs> you felt that magnetism <laughs> the pull. Oh yeah totally. I mean it was like yeah totally you know we were we were you know des- desperately in love with each other and um but that whole long distance relationship thing, you know, and there are a lot of people that are in long distance relationships, and some in far longer distance than than the Perth Melbourne thing. You know, the, there are many people that have uh, relationships that are where the distance is opposite sides of the world, and um, so it is not uncommon. Um, but there's a lot about it that is kind of cool, like especially we were really young too. I mean, we're we were both sort of just out of our teens and in a way it was kind of i looking back in retrospect i think it was kind of good for us because for those 3 years we kind of didn't we were still really young and we needed to kind of have our own lives and i think if we'd have been living in the same place we might have sacrificed a little bit too much of ourselves mm. you know in the early part of a relationship and i think that probably happens a lot in in relationships especially at that age um so it kind of kept us um from um jump going to you know jumping into it too quickly or something or it just kept us it meant we had our own lives we had our own independent lives our own individual lives and i think at the age of 
19, 20, 21 or whatever, that's really, really important. You know, you like, you, I, I don't think it's always great to, um, to become too committed to someone at too young an age. You know, you've still got so much to learn. You've still got so much living to do. And I think, you know, the, the long distance thing gave us both that space to kind of maintain our own, to still have our own lives um, while still sort of being committed to each other, you know, even though we only saw each other sort of from time to time. Mm, I guess to to grow into independent people as opposed to codependent yeah. sort of yeah I think relationship. I think that stuff's re- yeah I think it's really important you know those those that, at, at that age you know you're still you know, still so young um, you you know you feel like you're an adult but I look back at like the age of nineteen twenty and think yeah I was still kids yeah um, <laughs> so we were still kids just playing playing around it in life uh, not really knowing sort of where, what we were doing or what, you know, we were still figuring stuff out, you know, for ourselves. So I think it's, it was good to, um, because uh, sort of, because we had such intense feelings for each other, I think maybe that separation was, was, was in retrospect, you know, there were positives to that, you know, it kind of, it, it, it slowed things down when things probably, when we could have rushed into things a lot quicker. Mm. And I guess it allowed you your music career to kind of flourish and for you to really explore that and explore what it was that that you wanted without the kind of um uh or without needing to make the sacrifices as you say that one might need to make when when they're in a relationship and it is that really full on kind of wanting to be in everything of each other's lives yeah well that's that's it I mean because at the time. I was married to Jebediah and mm. that was my whole life. And I was on a really good thing. That was, I mean, I, it was a really great thing happening in my life. And, um, and the reality is if we'd have both been living in the same city, we still would have been having a long distance relationship anyway, because I was always on tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was always on the road. So it's still it, you know, like it would have, we would have still been facing some of those same obstacles anyway. Mm. Um, but um, but it was good too because we like I was already a, a full time musician playing in Jebs when we met, so she never knew, or I should say, we never knew any different. So um, I I often I do feel um, for for people in my industry um, who are in you know committed relationships and then all of a sudden they're career takes off and I guess it's not my industry this could be this could this could be in any industry all of a sudden your career takes off and it means that you're spending a lot of time away all of a sudden and the dynamics of this established relationship suddenly change on its head Mm. Um, and I really feel for people in that situation because that can be you know that that can often be too much for the relationship to deal with You you know that sudden massive change so I also, in again, in retrospect, I think you know that worked out worked well for us as well because um, because we she didn't know any different. She only knew me as being somebody who played in a band and was on tour all the time. So her that was that that was the kind of she went in with that knowing that that was the uh, expectation, you know. So um, we sort of over a very long period of time we were both able to kind of just slowly um, f- find a way to kind of be comfortable with it and make it work. 
Mm. How did you uh, How did you guys meet? Um, I my first memory of meeting Kristen, my wife, was her her brother, her older brother, Stephen, was the bass player in a in a band called Incursion. They were a uh, a Melbourne band, and you know they were getting played on Triple J, and um, they were. Yeah, I, I'd heard of Incursion, you know, as a when I as a as a uh, uni student in 1995, the year that Jeb and I got together. I remember hearing them on radio and really liking them and stuff. So anyway, her brother was the bass player in that band, and um, when Jeb's f- first started pl- playing shows outside of Perth, we did, did this gig in Melbourne supporting Incursion. Um, I can't remember the venue, but it was in Melbourne anyway. It was Incursion's gig, and we were like the opening band or something, support act. And, um, that's my first memory of meeting her. She was there, you know, watching her brother play. And, um, that was probably a good two years before we actually got together. So I'd known her for even, you know, a couple of years before we even got together and stuff. So, and then it just took ages for the planets to align because, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. And so we were kind of into each other, but it, there was never, you know, the opportunity. It took a little while for the kind of circumstances to kind of, meet, you know, everything to kind of meet up and, for both of us to be single and in the right place at the right time to kind of, you know, to be able to kind of set things off on its on its path. Mm. And now you've managed to uh, to sustain that for what must be uh, what almost twenty years or something that you guys yeah, have been together. Yeah, I know. It's, it's incredible. Getting, getting getting close, getting close. So yeah, we've been married for ten years, uh, but yeah, together for probably well. You know, as I said, like the early parts of our relationship are kind of, it's a little bit blurry, you know, like because of circumstances and um, and all the rest, it was a, you know, it wasn't, it took a little while to kind of, you know, to kind of sort out. But yeah, I guess it has, it's probably been like, yeah, 16 years or something like that. Mm. So yeah, a long, long, a long, long time. And it doesn't, you know, it, it it's funny kind of, to reflect on that, you know, because it's a, it sounds like a long time. It doesn't feel like such a long time, mm. um, but it does sound like an, it does sound like a fairly significant amount of time. Mm. And now, and now we're living in Ocean Grove. We have two kids, and <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, who would have thought, huh? Life is probably looking very different to uh, what it did in um, in '95 when you first uh, first saw her when you were. When you were uh, playing with Jebediah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, the thing is, like, too, you know, uh, it's like I was never, you know, I, I, I didn't before Kristen. I'd only had a couple of. I hadn't really had one girlfriend, and you know, wasn't you know, I, I wasn't. Um, I was kind of one of those people that I didn't really. I've never really been a slut, you know. I never really felt comfortable, kind of being with having flings and stuff like that. I was very awkward actually with, uh, and still am in a way, um, when it comes to, you know, women and, you know, that that, that kind of uh, <laughs> relationship thing. I was, was like, you can tell just by the way I'm trying to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, I've always kind of, even though like in the, in the kind of the heady days of, Jebediah's most popular years, um, 
I was never really interested in, uh, you know, that side of mm. of being in a band. You know, like being in a band to me was all about having a having fun with my mates on stage and my bandmates were my best friends and I just wanted to hang out with them all the time and I was never really kind of I was never really uh, swayed or um, not into the groupy uh, thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it never. It's just not. It was never really my thing. So, um, so that's probably also you know a, a pretty strong contributing factor as to you know why um, I did the long distance thing and 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 has you know stayed with the same person throughout all of that sort of time. Mm. It's an interesting point that you touch on there about, I suppose, the bells and whistles that come with uh, with creating. Uh, a band or or you know existing in in uh, in an artistic industry where you know it's it's kind of popularized and um but you know you you kind of talk about you just wanted to play music with your mates and you just wanted to perform when 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 did you guys decide that you wanted to create this band and and kind of go out there and and um and and just rock out and make music well, I mean, I guess like many bands, it wasn't, you know, it was a long, it was a long time coming. I mean, it's, you know, that whole idea of like overnight success, you know, it doesn't really exist. Even <laughs> Takes a long time. Even, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, we sort of talk about that, you know, in the, in the, the, the kind of culture of reality TV and, and even in that situation where people are like, plucked from obscurity and all of a sudden they're on national television and they're you know competing in, on this grand stage and 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 it does very much feel like um that it is an overnight success and and even in that in that most in and I use that as an example because it is you know probably the best one even in that situation those people in those competitions you know, they've been singing for years. They've been doing it for years. Like, they all have their backstories or whatever. It's very rare, I would imagine, that it's, that, you know, ever, that there's ever a story where somebody is just like, one day they're just sitting in their lounge room playing PlayStation and the next minute they're <laughs> making, making records. But anyway, so in answer to your question with Jebs, I was, uh, but Chris, the guitar, other guitarist in Jebs, um, we, became good mates when we started high school um so when we were sort of 12 going on 13 and we became friends really quickly um and he was already playing guitar yeah I think he started learning guitar when he was 12 I didn't pick it up until a year later and um and that was you know we were friends we both played guitar and and all through high school we were always you know jamming together and learning songs you know we were really into all the same bands learning Nirvana songs and um, and he, his older sister and my older brother, um, who's the, not, not the older brother that plays drums in Jebs, but the one between us, uh, were in the same year as Vanessa, two, who was two years above us, um, at the same school, the, who plays bass in Jebs and they were friends as well. And so that's sort of how Chris and I both got to know Ness um, and we all did theatre together. All through high school, we were doing theatre arts and music, like pr- musical productions and all that kind of stuff. We were total, we were glee kids, you know. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and uh, I was and every too. bit is every bit is fucking dorky as well. Yeah. Um, um, and then that was all through high school, right? And Chris was playing with Ness in another band right at the end of high school with with a bunch of Ness's friends. They got Chris in, and um, they played a few pub gigs and stuff. I saw them play a few times, and and then when we finished high school, and uh, and we were. So Chris and I were in our first year of uni. That's when we um, entered this uh, university band competition. And, but actually, before that, to get our, to our, our first gig, it was um, a it was our high school's uh, year twelve ball. So so this was after we left school. It was the year below us, and it was their year twelve ball. And those kids knew that me and Chris played guitar, or whatever. And I don't know, for some fucking crazy reason, they thought that it would be a good idea for us to play at their ball. Now, <laughs> we didn't even have a band. So, right, so I get a call from somebody at the high school at my house, um, my parents' place, and saying, you know, look, the year 12 kids want your band to play at our ball, you know, and he started sort of just asking me basic questions about what shows we'd played, what experience we had, and all that kind of stuff. Now, we, there was no band. The band didn't, I, I wasn't in a band. It didn't exist. But I just lied through my fucking teeth. <laughs> so um, Chris and Ness were already playing in this band. And so I basically just appropriated their history into mine. Just said, and so the gigs that they'd played, I said, oh, yeah, we've we've played at this place and this yeah, place. Yeah. We've done this. And um, just lied, lied through my teeth um, about the whole thing. And, you know, we got this gig. And so, of course, all of a sudden it's like we got to put a band together. At that point in time, Ness was playing guitar. So me and Chris... Asked Ness if she wanted to um, start a band and, and move on to bass, which she did. And then we got Brett, my oldest brother, who was had all, all through my teenage years. Brett was a drummer, and we, you know, we used to jam at home all the time. And got Brett to play bass, and that's how we started Jebediah. And it was all just about we had about two months to rehearse about thirty or forty cover songs to play at this ball. Um, and by the time we played at the ball, we'd written maybe a handful of original songs we played a couple of them that night by the time we'd played the ball we already knew that you know what we that you know we wanted to be a real band that played in pubs and 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 played original songs and all that kind of stuff and um so you know we quickly moved from there to just doing any kind of gig that we you know like wednesday night sort of you know new band nights you know where three or four bands would play at at, at a pub in Fremantle and no one would get paid, of course, and it was all just a, just like a, a way to f- for bands to get their first gig, and we did stuff like that, and um, and then we entered this campus band competition, and we won, we won that the national competition, and that was kind of the, I guess, the point where, by then we sort of we had a booking agent who ended up being our manager, and and we started getting gigs all the time, and then it kind of all kind of happened really fast after that um uh, so yeah by the end of 95 the year that we formed we were um yeah we were playing all the time we had an audience and record labels were starting to kind of you know show interest and it it happened really quick really really fast uh, from that point on for for you know and i don't mean that to kind of uh you know to sound like i'm sort of big noting us but um you know i can in all fairness, I can look at that situation and go, yeah, it, it did, it did happen really, really quickly, unusually quickly, um, um, for for you know a variety of 
<laughs> a variety of reasons, you know. I think we we're doing the right thing at the right time and um, and everything. So yeah. Mm. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time that you performed? Like you personally, not not necessarily in a band. It might have been when you were uh, younger or something. It may not have even been music. It may have been in a show or a play, or it may have just been with your family. But the first time that you performed in front of anyone and it kind of made you it it ignited something in you that you continued to pursue and it eventually turned into this music career yeah well absolutely i mean i i've basically performed on a stage in some capacity every year of my life since i was about six. Oh wow um but it started with with dancing i when I was six years old, I was just in love with Michael Jackson and that sh- TV show Fame, um, and I just, I, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to dance, um, <laughs> and so you know, I asked my parents to enrol me in this, you know, in a dancing at a dance school, which I did, you know, up until I was twelve, and that was kind of so. And every year, you know, at the end of the year, to put on a, a sort of concert. Um, so all through sort of my primary school years, I was doing dancing and not, and it was a secret, you know, I never told anyone at school because obviously being a guy doing dancing, you know, I was like, generally I was pretty much one of only, sometimes I was the only boy in my, in my class. There were some years where there were some other boys, but generally often it was just me. Um, and I was, you know, as a, as a young kid, I was, you know, very obviously just not secure enough to um yeah, I was worried about what people up. might think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, you know, and I, you know, and and I look back and I just think, well, you know, it's so it's it's so fucked like but obviously I was um you know, just not uh yeah, I was just worried about exactly just being picked on and you know, because boys don't dance. It was the eighties, and I don't know. Maybe it's still like that now for for kids. It probably is. The thing is, I don't know if I was actually ever any really very good at it. But the thing was, I just loved spending time with music. And I, I mean, it's obviously like after being in music for so many years, I've been asked these questions so many times. I've had a lot of time to reflect and a lot of spent a lot of time thinking back to it. And and I've come to realize that you know the the beginning of it all was spending two days a week every week every year from the age of six moving to music that was my first connection um to to music long before i picked up an instrument i started writing that didn't come till i was about 12 when i started writing songs um and that's when the dancing sort of sort of fell to the wayside and I was really into acting and stuff as well. The writing bug kind of got me and, you know, by the time I was sort of 16 or even before that, 15, I was just, I'd become really obsessed and I kind of gradually got to that point where every other thing that I was interested in or may have been good at slowly one by one all just kind of fell by the wayside and and just, just this writing songs was uh just became an obsession and I can remember in high school in my in my last couple of years of high school every morning I'd wake up parents would go to work I'd wake up I'd eat breakfast and get dressed as quickly as possible I'd go down 
grab the guitar. We, you know, my brother had like an electric guitar and an amplifier. And I'd get about half an hour. I'd just play and write and and do that for as close to I could. And I'd always get to school late because I'd always <laughs> kind of stay doing it for too long. And then I'd be at school. And then as soon as I came home, I'd put the bag down. I'd go back to the guitar and I'd do it until fucking bedtime. And I was... So, yeah, by the time I was sort of about 15, 16, I was... Um, just completely obsessed with it um it was all i wanted to do um and that was kind of when i you know when i started when i showed chris you know the songs that i've been writing and he was like yeah this is because we'd always got together and we were doing covers and you know learning like i said before learning nirvana songs and stuff like that mm. and um and then i showed him an original song one day and he was like fuck that's heaps cooler than learning song you know then learning nirvana songs let's do this instead and so i suppose like when it comes to sort of the beginnings of jebediah or for me personally the beginnings of like a career in writing in, in like you know performing original kind of music and stuff that was that was probably a fairly important point in time you know, i showed my best friend you know because i was fucking nervous you know like I'd been writing songs for years and I'd never showed anybody, you know, I kept it to myself because I would just didn't want people to laugh. I just thought that I would be ridiculed. Um, and, but Chris, you know, as soon as I played in one of my songs, he, he, you know, he thought it was, he was really excited, you know? And, um, and when I look back now, I kind of think the fuck that was really important because that could have, if he'd have just like laughed at me and told me it was shit, like, that could have potentially changed everything, you know, like mm. that could have just, I could have, I mean, who knows? But um, I, I look back on that moment and I do remember it quite, quite well. He probably doesn't, but I, I remember it quite well. I remember exactly where I, in the room we were in, I remember exactly where I was sitting. Um, I, I have a very strong visual memory of that exact moment. Um, but but it's only dawned on me in very recent times that it was that how influential that moment was. You know, sliding uh, literally doors. just in the last few, literally in the last few years, um, I'd forgotten about it for years, and um, it's only just been recently that I've kind of gone, "Fuck, that was actually, that was actually a, a an important moment in my life." Mm, it was a a sliding doors kind of moment for you. Yeah, I mean to put it that way sure yeah it was i mean and there are many moments like that you know those kind of those moments happen all the way through your life particularly in those kind of formative years um so that was one of many mm. um so i you know uh there, there are there are lots of others that were that were really important as well but um but that that kind of sticks in my memory pretty hard as uh as being a real sort of, uh, yeah, just a, a moment that I guess, like I said, it could have, it, you know, if it, it, it could have ended, it could have been changed things in a big way. It could have ended very differently if, if, if he'd have reacted differently to it. Mm. How are you when you're, when you're that kind of age, how are you writing music? Because I, I imagine that, as you kind of grow into your musicianship, or even just as you grow as a as a human, uh, you start to and you start to become more self aware and more conscious of 
the way that you do it, your process, you become more tapped into, uh, I guess, a more structured approach to songwriting. But I'd imagine that when you're sort of 12 to 16, you're kind of writing off instinct. Uh, yeah, to an extent. I also think there's a lot of um, you, a lot of you're just copying. You know, I I look back on a lot of my this, you know, a lot of those early year, all those years, you know, the five years that I spent sort of writing songs before Jebediah started. It was all just about like trying to write songs that sounded like the songs that I liked, songs that I'd heard. Um, so I think there's just a lot of imitation that happens. Um, so I think there's an equal amount of <laughs> imitation and an instinct. I, uh, like when it comes to how you end up sounding, um, that's total instinct because <laughs> I had no, I, I had no idea like how I wanted to sound. I had an idea about the types of songs that I, I was trying to write and the kind of melodies and the kind of, I think I, you know, I had an idea of the kind of sort of, uh, the kind of like that sort of emotional kind of hit that I was trying to, you know, experience from writing a really great set of chords and coming up with a great melody and all that kind of stuff uh, based on what I was listening to. But you just never... You never know how you're actually going to sound when it all comes together. And mm. Jebediah didn't sound anything like I imagined in my head we would sound. Um, I, I, I mean, my singing-wise, it was purely instinctual. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then, you know, you get together with a bunch of other people and they're all bringing their stuff into it as well. And, um, and Jebediah ended up sounding completely different to what I imagined I want what I imagined I wanted or what I, you know uh, um, and so for a few years you know especially once we you know made a record and that record did really really well and you know a lot of people heard it and knew about it and um, you know for for a few years I, I, I was a little bit uneasy about you know how we sounded it wasn't good enough or didn't sound like I thought it was supposed to. Um, but again, in retrospect, I look back and go, it sounds like us, and that's fucking great. Um, that's really, really important, you know, that we didn't sound like anybody else. Yeah. But at the time, the fact that we didn't sound like anybody else was not... I'm not saying that, like, I was wrecked with fucking insecurities all the time. I was having the time of my life. I was having a fucking blast. But there was like a part of, there was like a niggling kind of part of me that was kind of like, oh, you know, they sound, they don't quite, quite sound as good as the uh, stuff that I'm hearing on the radio, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but now I realize that that's, that was actually a really good thing. And, um, you know, and thank God that I uh, was, just happened to uh, meet, um, these other awesome people that brought all this stuff to what I was doing and turned it into something else um, that was way better and way cooler um, and way more original than perhaps I would have been able to do if I'd just been on my own. 
I imagine it would be quite a vulnerable sort of uh, place to be in to really be standing in your own uniqueness, I suppose, which is, I guess, what you're kind of saying, uh, where you where you are kind of standing out from the crowd, and you and in some ways it's an untested and untried uh, formula. Mm. Yeah, but the thing that, like the uh, <laughs> the the sort of easy landing, so to speak. The uh, sorry, I was just uh, killing a bug there. Um, <laughs> I thought you the, were clapping the soft, to illustrate the, the landing. <laughs> <laughs> the soft landing was that what we were doing. Fuck, it was it worked. It worked. I mean, and it became really popular really quickly. It was working. Now. If it, if it wasn't working and things weren't happening for us and, you know, that probably would have just fed into that little insecure voice in the back of my mind. But because what we were doing was working and people were liking it and things were happening for us really fast and I was getting all this really positive feedback, um, that sort of was easily enough for me to kind of just ignore to as much well to it to, as much as possible anyway the um the sort of voice in my head saying eh, you know you're, you're not really very you're not good enough you know yeah you're not very good you know because we i was getting so much positive reinforcement for what i was doing and yeah like fuck if if things again if things had turned out differently and we weren't and we and success wasn't falling in our laps like it was then i imagine that voice of insecurity saying that I wasn't good enough would have really started to kind of ha- it would have built up it would have gotten louder would have built up more steam um, mm. but yeah so we were lu- we were lucky because um because it was working for us so we didn't you know we didn't have uh we didn't have time <laughs> to <laughs> think about you know what we you know about you know not being good enough because um we were just on a very quickly it was like we were on a roller coaster ride and it was just taking off and we were just kind of hanging on and having time of our lives so had to get on with it and do the work yeah well which was it didn't it didn't even feel like work i mean you know obviously we worked really hard we played all the time we rehearsed all the time we were constantly working in inverted commas but mm. it never ever felt like work because it was all we wanted to fucking do um, so it was just like a, it was a, it was a godsend, you know, it was, it was amazing. You know, it was like, our, uh, our, our very humble dreams were, were coming true right before our eyes very quickly. And, um, and it, it never felt like work. It, it, you know, we, we wanted to, we just wanted to do it all the time, you know, so, um, so whilst I can look at back at like, uh, what we did in our schedule and how much work we did. You know, we were also too, you know, we had the gift of being, we were fucking teenagers too <laughs> when we started. You know, we had boundless energy um, and a lot of innocent kind of optimism um, and uh, and that just, that's a pretty strong kind of energy, you know. You can get, it's made me realise just how fucking far in life you can get um, just by 
loving what you fucking do, you know? Um, I I think it's, you do, it's, it's like you don't have to be the fucking best at something. There are so many people in this world that are so talented, that are just so fucking good at what they do. The best songwriters and the best musicians, you know, I was talking about this with my friend Josh Pike just the other week, and, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase what he said. You know, he said, the best songwriter is some guy in his bedroom that no one's ever heard. There are so many people, and so many bands that I've loved over the years that haven't been given even a, a skerrick of the opportunities that we've had. And they're just as deserving. They're just as good. I mean, well, how does that happen? Well, obviously, there's a fucking ton of different reasons. But at the end of the day, you can be really, really, really good great at something but it it in no way does it sort of guarantee you anything any kind of success um you can get a long way in this world just by being really fucking enthusiastic you may not be the best um you may not be even close to the best but if you really fucking love what you do and you're really enthusiastic about it you can it's it's amazing how far you can um how far you can get in in life Mm. How do you how do you define success? That's a brilliant question and and something that I often have thought about because it changes. Um so how do I define success now? It's for me it's, it's all about longevity. Um because y- you've sort of I you know came to realize probably I don't know. Somewhere around the in the somewhere close to ten years into it, that um, like everybody, like we experienced Jeb's, you know, experienced this, you know, a, a certain rise to f- sort of fame. You know, I, I, it's a horrible way to put it. it makes me feel silly yeah, so putting it true, in those though. terms. But we had success quickly, and then that that success kind of faded away. And that's that's what happens. You know, it pretty much had that's kind of what how it rolls for just about everybody so success in purely kind of commercial terms or um if you if you sort of frame success as like you know money or record sales or all these kind of like definitions of success that are geared around um i don't know like capitalism or whatever um that's fleeting you know, for for most of us, it's fleeting. For most of us, and in the in the creative world, in the artistic world, it, it it it's fleeting. Of course, there are exceptions to the rule. There are some people that not like that, but for a lot of us, that's how it is. Um, and so, you know, in those early days, you know, my idea of success would have been playing the big day out, you know, tour, which we did, or supporting one of my favourite bands like UMI, you know, which we did in the early years. That was my definition of of success I thought I'm a success you know I'm playing real shows at real venues with my favorite bands or I'm playing at the most well-known festival and you know the festival that as a you know just a few years ago I was going to as a punter myself and dreaming of one day being able to be in a band that could do that but of course that changes over time and now I realize that you know success is just fucking hanging in there you know for the long for the long haul and just being able to wake up 
every day and be able to do what you love. Um, and it's, I'll give you a sort of another example of this, like of what I'm talking about. When, when the when Australian Idol or those reality TV shows, those singing shows first started out, when it first came on, came up, you know, the however many it was probably quite a fifteen years ago or something now, close to it. Um, I was, you know, like a lot of people in my in my world, in my community, I was really cynical about it, you know, and and that's not to say I'm not, I'm still cynical about it to an extent, but at the time I just thought like. There was no kind of, you know, there was absolutely no worth to this whatsoever. Um, but as I got older and, and and now, I kind of realized that like, well, look, even though I think that the whole reality TV show thing is, is still kind of very much flawed, like who am I to judge somebody who just loves music and wants to do it with their life you know who wants to make music who wants to spend their time making music singing doing what they love and if like who am i to say that like well if you want to do what you love you have to do it this way Mm. like that's 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 bullshit like and it's really so i guess i've kind of softened my view about that whole kind of thing because i just think at the end of the day if you if you want to if if making music is what you love and it's what you want to do with your life fucking go for it do it if you fucking busk whether you're busking on the streets or you're entering a fucking talent competition or you're playing in pub whatever whatever floats your fucking boat you know do it if it makes you happy then there's no right or wrong way so i suppose my criticism of the whole reality tv thing sort of sh- like it kind of I excluded the contestants from it from my cynicism because I just think they're just doing what they fucking love, you know. The so the criticism would would solely lie on the you know the um well the and the the production companies or whatever that come up with <laughs> the it and then the, and then the general culture yeah the culture and the institution around it. But the people that are just singing because they love it, like I you know anybody who loves making music and wants to do it with their life i just wish i wish them all the success in the world no matter how the fuck they do it um so yeah getting back to that thing of success i guess that's just an example of like success is just being able to do what you love on a daily basis um no matter how and 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 any however you are able to find your way into that it doesn't matter as long as you as long as you can do it and then you can you know you can feel successful because you don't you're not you can go to bed you can fall asleep at night feeling like you haven't waste you're not wasting your time you know you you, you got to do what you love you know and that's 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 success mm. i think ask me again in ask me again in 10 years and i might have a different answer because, <laughs> I, because like i said you know it's an evolving it's an evolving idea. It's an evolving notion. This thing of success, you know, um, and it, and it is one, that, and it is an idea that it, it does interest me, because um, it's such a it's such a complex thing, and it really um, goes to the heart of 
of you know us as people and you know what we you know what we're fucking doing with our lives what we're doing on this earth um and you know we're always looking over our shoulders at what the person next to us is doing and comparing ourselves and all that kind of stuff which is really fucked which is really bad i used to do that all the time i'm working really hard on not doing that anymore um that idea of just like sort of just focusing on staying in your lane focusing on your own on your own thing and and not not ju- not sort of judging yourself based on what the person next to you is doing i think that stuff is really important too because that can really erode success or it can influence you in a bad way if somebody you know it can make if if somebody's kind of succeeding in a in a certain way that you're not it can make you feel a little bit vulnerable or insecure but sometimes the way somebody else is succeeding is a is a type of success that you're not really even when it comes down to it you're not even really interested in anyway um so it's not it's just not relevant Mm, you also don't know i suppose what what they're kind of battling with what they're up against and who they're kind of looking at and feeling like the grass is greener with absolutely i think yeah that whole grass is greener thing is true you know um you can't define your own success based on what somebody else's version of success is. Mm. And I think it's real. And, and there's so much pressure too, because when you think about it in our lives, like we're constantly being, we're constantly being bombarded with these messages about what success is. Owning things, you know, um, material success. Um, we're, we're uh, the media, you know, the way we look, we're constantly every day, of our lives we're bombarded with these messages about you know what you should be aspiring to and now i'm talking obviously outside the world of music and stuff um just in life and i think that stuff can be really fucking damaging because a lot of the time that stuff is completely irrelevant to your own life you know like people you know if if i start buying into the idea that i've got to own a new fucking car or uh, you know, or I've got to look a certain way or weigh a certain, you know, amount or <laughs> all those kind of things, like, then I'm just being distracted from from the things that are actually really important to me. I didn't care about, I don't, I never really have cared about that stuff. But, um, yeah, so I think it's, it's hard. It's hard to, to maintain a vision of success for yourself. Because there's just so much fucking, there's just so much distraction and so much pollution, <laughs> you know, there's messaging mm. telling you what you're supposed to, what success is, is what you're supposed to aspire to. Um, you know, it's really fucking hard to, to keep your eye on, on, the, on the prize of what success. And, I, you know, some people, I guess, maybe don't know, you know, don't, Maybe they just maybe take all their cues of what success is from what other people tell them. And, um, I think if you have an idea about what you want and what success means to you, it's that then you're lucky. And it's then the battle then is to just try and stay focused on that and ignore all the all the messages that are telling you differently. Mm. Well, what's the what what's the uh, what's the difference for you? I suppose in a experiential sense between what you're talking about before, you know, you playing a big day out, supporting UMI versus 
2016 releasing a new Bob Evans album and touring that? Well, I mean, the reality is that, you know, I kind of look at what I do as kind of being on a par with like owning like a, a corner store, like a little deli on the corner. It's kind of like a, it's a small business, you know, and and it's really, really hard work and it's not, you know, particularly glamorous, but you, you don't, you're your own boss and you're, you're never going to, you know, you're never going to be rich owning the, the corner deli. Um, but you can, if you work hard and you do the best possible job that you can to make your little corner deli the fucking coolest, best corner deli in your neighborhood that people want to come and visit and buy shit from. Well, you know, there's a chance that you can support a family and have a have a have a nice life and um, do the things that you want to do without without ever sort of um, oh, buy and 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 maintain your independence. You know, um, so. Yeah, the the reality of my situation, you know, now is just about just just keep just always keep working, and the and the kind of benefit the the payoff of that is, you know, spending time with my family and being able to pay for my fucking kids to go to school and you know mm. all that kind of all that kind of really normal average kind of shit, you know. And sounds like a pretty, that, 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 pretty, pretty successful uh, position to be in. Yeah, totally. I mean, look again. I, I could talk about this idea of success for forever because, like I said, it fascinates me. I mean, it's so multifaceted. But um, you know, I another definition of success for me at the moment is the fact that I get to spend heaps of time with my kids. Um, sure, I have to travel a bit and. I spend periods of time away from them, but but I also get to spend. You know, I I'm, I wake up every morning with my kids, and I'm the one that's taking them into kindy and picking them up from daycare, and um, I I haven't missed much, if if anything. Um, I I get my career, whilst whilst it isn't making me rich financially, it's providing me with a a lifestyle that you couldn't, you know, it'd be very hard to put a put a value on. It's um, so again, you know, that's that's another another facet of success is you know what the the freedom you know that allows you. To, mm. I mean, what's the point? What's the point of making shitloads of money if you never have the freedom or independence or time to? enjoy it or do anything with it you know what's the point of just accumulating shit with no if if like if that in itself is just the end goal that just that makes absolutely no sense to me so you know um so yeah i'm pretty happy to even though it can be stressful you know when at times when you you know broke <laughs> i'm pretty happy to kind of you know accept you know that the situation that you know I can do what I love and I can survive and I can spend heaps of time my you know nourishing my family life and spending time with my kids and you know that's 
and I don't have a boss telling me what to do. Um, and I can generally, I, I'm, I'm generally, I'm in control of my decisions, you know. I make my own decisions and um, I'm still at the whim of, you know, fashion and all that because anybody that does music or whatever is somewhat at the whim of fashion. You know? <laughs> yeah, and trends. Um, yeah, that's right, yeah. I can't control that. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's um, there's just so many different... Uh, yeah, so many different ways to kind of look at that thing, and I suppose too when you get to an age, like get to a certain age, I'm 38, and that's probably something you sort of, sort of think about a lot more too. You know, like what it, you know, where am I at? Am I happy? Is this what I want? What you know, you, I don't know. Maybe you th- maybe you think about that stuff all the time at any age. I don't know. I can't remember what I was like when I was 20 <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> but yeah. And you get to reenact the uh, the opening sequence of Sea Change whenever you want. That's right. Yeah, I'll have to. I, I really should watch the show someday, <laughs> so that I <laughs> so that I can. But um, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> like we were sort of saying at the start of the thing, um, you know, I don't live in Melbourne anymore. I don't live in the city, and um, and that has been. You know, that's been really good for me in terms of just getting my head out of, you know, the pollution in more ways, in in many different ways. Um, But, yeah, just kind of having space, having freedom, um, having that feeling of peace, peacefulness, you know. That sort of stuff is also, you know, has become pretty important to me as well. Mm. Well, this has been uh, a, a very uh, philosophical uh, conversation. <laughs> um, thank you so much again, Kevin. I really appreciate your My time. My pleasure. Um, pleasure. I end every conversation with uh, one standard question, which is, yep. what makes you silly? <laughs> That's easy. What makes me silly is my my kids. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old kid, my two girls. And they fucking make me silly. And I've always had a propensity for silliness. I've always enjoyed being silly. But um, my kids really enjoy being silly. And they are the ones that encourage that silliness on a daily, you know, on a daily basis. So, so yeah, um, performing performing silly fucking stupid shit for my kids <laughs> <laughs> almost every day is uh is yeah definitely what makes me silly what's what's a silly performance that you've done recently oh there's so many there's so many you know like my kids they love slapstick humor right you know most kids probably do um so physical humor you know pretending to hurt yourself i mean just tonight before we started this podcast because it's like you know what is it nine o'clock at night here so I put the kids to bed and um, they're all, and I do this fucking routine after I put them to bed. I say, good night, I love you. And, and then, you know, I pretend to, you know, walk into a wall. Or, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so once you start doing this stuff, they ask for it every fucking night. And you have to perform this fucking routine every night where, 
you know, they do this thing where like we, we blow kisses to each other and um well you know, after I've said goodnight to them and I turn around at the door and we blow kisses to each other and and they'll so they'll blow a kiss to me and I'll say, I'm gonna blow a kiss into your eye. And so then or into your mouth or into it and so of course so then they blow the kiss and I have to pretend that the kiss is like landed in my eye and I'm blind and I walk into walls or I gotta say goodnight to them and I <laughs> you know, instead of walking out of the door I walk into their cupboard or all that kind of just stupid shit. And um, yeah, I suppose also I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for an audience. You know, as soon as people start laughing or being entertained by me, then I'm a t- I'm a total sucker for it. You know, I just turn into the performing monkey. It's but that's what I do. That's you know that's my job, right? It's all I know. Um, so as soon as I start getting that kind of uh, positive feedback from any kind of audience, whether it's playing a gig or my <laughs> two kids. At bedtime, I uh, I go into uh, I, I go into before. It's like, hey, whoa, well, they, they like this, they like it. Okay, I'll do it more. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 yeah, kind of sad. It's <laughs> amazing, man. It's awesome. I've been listening to this whole story with a big smile on my face. I love it. Keep the sillies going and walking into walls. I say. <laughs> Thanks, Al. Cheers. Thanks so much, Kev. <laughs>